Sports Light the Tower. Your daily look around the world of sports. With Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin. The Horn. Light it up on a Monday. Monday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. We are live. We are local. We are digital. On the Horn app at hornfm.com. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so very much for being a part of today's presentation. A lot to get to. Busy, busy Monday. Steve Sarkeesian press conference coming up in about an hour. We'll lay everything out. I am Jeff Howe. Jeff Howe at Jeff Howe 247 on Twitter. Horns247.com. That's where you can find my work, the work of my colleagues. The best Longhorn team, the latest and greatest Longhorn team news notes and nuggets, the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market with Mike Roach and Hudson Standish. It's all available for you at Horns 24-7. If I could sum up the football weekend, being that I cover the Texas Longhorns and am a fan, a diehard fan of the Dallas football Cowboys, it would be in audio format. It would just be a big fart noise. That would be how I would describe the football weekend. Hey, we'll talk through it, especially that 17-10 loss Texas took. At the hands of TCU on Saturday, Texas and Kansas coming up this Saturday, 2.30 from Lawrence. We get you started with Longhorn Game Day presented by Bud Light four hours before kickoff. An hour before kickoff, it's the network pregame and then kickoff at 2.30. Craig is not here today. He's in stores, Connecticut, getting ready for the Texas women's basketball game. We'll run that down here in a little bit, how you can hear all that. But I have to bring in now our erstwhile producer, he is the publisher, curator, otherwise Major Domo, of everything FlexATX. FLXATX.com, at FLXATX, on all of your social media platforms. He is the legendary, the great, the one and only Snoop Daniel. How are you, sir? Doing great. It was a busy weekend, and I'm not done with it yet, but, you know, it was a hard football weekend otherwise, right? UT fan, Cowboy fan. We took it in the shorts on our pickums too, Snoop. We had a hey. one-and-four week. Dang. It was bad. I saw that Buffalo lost. You can blame Josh Allen for that, for not being able to handle a snap from center. It's like overtime, <laughs> and then and then our Cowboys in overtime. Yeah. And then so uh, it's, the a, it's a rough week. So we, we're going to structure the show a little bit differently today. Longhorn Notebook is going to come up here in just a second. At the bottom of the hour, Snoop has the Monday edition of the Whataburger Top 5. This is a Craig Way curated Whataburger Top 5, by the way, that was sent to Snoop of the Top 5 performances over the weekend. We'll get to that at the bottom of the hour. We'll also sprinkle in some more Texas football talk because I don't think we can talk enough Longhorns today. At the top of the hour, Steve Sarkeesian's weekly press conference recapping the TCU loss, getting uh, to the Kansas game, looking ahead to the Jayhawks coming up on Saturday Bottom of hour two, Snoop's Flex Thirty update. What you got cooking for a little Flex Thirty in hour two? I, I got the complete uh, look at who we got, Austin. Who we who we got this Friday? All the games on Friday. It's like none on Thursday. Sprinkle a couple yeah. small schools. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be the time of year where your Thursday games outside of those small schools, which they would play a state championship on Thursday, you're going to be pretty much done on Thursdays. I wonder if we're getting a small school game on Thanksgiving this year. Typically that happens. I know there's a Saturday game. That's that's the tease. So. <laughs> well, we'll get to all that in the uh, in the flex there. Yeah, it seems like everybody's trying to play on Friday. I don't know why, but it seems like everybody's trying to schedule games on Friday. But we'll get to that, and then we'll uh, recap the Sark Press Conference, talk a little more Texas football, all of that fun stuff. So, without further ado, 
Let's go ahead and get to the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Brought to you by Aaron Bowersock. Bowersockteam.com, your home loan expert. Get in touch with Aaron. Let her and her team do for you what they did for Craig. When Craig made the move to Georgetown, took a lot, uh, took a big load off of his plate, and they can do the same for you. Bowersockteam.com, Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert. Thank them so much for being a part of the Longhorn Notebook and sponsoring this segment. All right. So normally on Monday, I would just do five plays that made a difference in the game. By the way, Specs text line is open 337-3776. Normally I would do five plays that made a difference in the game, but I'm just going to kind of riff and just go off the cuff because there's just a lot to digest from Saturday. And I want to start with this because I, I don't want this to get lost in the shuffle of the, the bad stuff that we, we're going to talk about here in a second. You could not have asked for more out of the Texas defense on Saturday. Uh, with the exception, really, of two plays. The Kendra Miller 75-yard touchdown run and the Quentin Johnston 31-yard touchdown catch, which was, uh, I'll just be honest, is about as bad of a coverage bust as you'll ever see. And Texas has had some problem passing guys off uh, when teams run some some nice cover four beaters. Uh, and that, that looked like one of them. I need to go back and watch it again. But, yeah, it was a really bad coverage bust. But really, other than those two plays, you got to consider TCU came into the game for a little over 43 points a game. They were top three in the country in scoring offense. They were top four, top five in the country in total offense, over 500 yards a game, about 7.4 yards per play. Even when you factor in, typically they'll be like, well, if you take this out and look at it, no, you don't even have to do that with this, with this game. Uh, even with those two explosives, TCU's held to 26 points below their season average, 3.9, under four yards per play. That's TCU's worst uh, since a 29-23 loss to Baylor back in November on November 9th, 2019. 283 total yards for the Horned Frogs. That's their worst since a 204-yard night and a 28-24 loss to Oklahoma November 3rd, 23rd of 2019. A couple of high marks for the Texas defense. Five sacks, that's the most Texas has had since the uh, Halloween win over Oklahoma State in Stillwater in 2020. If you remember, that wasn't even a sack total achieved in regulation because that was the Joseph Osai walk-off sack in overtime. 14 tackles for loss. you got to go all the way back to 2016 against Iowa State. That was, I think, the first game under Charlie Strong when Charlie started calling the defense and Texas was wearing wristbands. They started doing the wristband thing to make help communication. Well, it worked at 14 tackles for loss that night. So, and, and I, I, there was two things that I thought Texas did a great job of. And if you want to credit Pete Kwiatkowski, you want to credit Gary Patterson, to me it doesn't really matter. I, I, whoever you want to give credit to, give credit to. But the two things I thought Texas did really well, and one I wish they would do more of, their blitz rate, Snoop, it was like around a 35% blitz rate on Saturday. And I thought they did a really good job. Typically, this year, when you've seen Texas show pressure, like they'll show a five-man pressure, uh, six-man pressure at times, When it, typically whenever they've shown pressure, they drop out of it or drop a couple of guys out of it. Saturday, they were showing pressure and just bringing it. And I thought they did a great job of getting Max Duggan off the spot, making him uncomfortable, and disrupting TCU's passing game. I wish Texas would bring more heat on the quarterback at times and not just do so much rush three or four, drop seven or eight, but 
that's drama for another day. I just like the fact that they showed pressure, they brought pressure, and it got home. So props to PK and the defensive staff for doing that. The other thing that I loved what they did on defense, they obliterated TCU's perimeter quick game. The bubble screens, the smoke screens, the hitches, anything TCU tried to do to get the ball to the perimeter and let guys make plays in space. Snoop J.D. Barron, by the way, shout out to Conley High School. Look at Vail. He's a flex guy, J.D. Barron is. J.D. Barron had three and a half tackles for loss in this game. I mentioned going into the game, Tay Barber and Darius Davis, they were 1-2 in the Big 12 in yards after the catch per reception. Those two guys combined on Saturday – uh, they combined for seven receptions for three yards on Saturday. Seven catches for three yards. Darius Davis had four catches. He was TCU's leader in receptions. He had four catches for minus six yards. Stott Texas did a great job on the perimeter screen game. Uh, just the perimeter game, period. Uh, the only thing really TCU really got going in the passing game was a couple of the one for sure, the twenty six yarder Quentin Johnston caught on the third and eighteen. That was for sure uh a cover four beater and then the touchdown on the on the busted coverage. But here was the difference in the game for me. We can talk about Quinn Ewers, I'm gonna get to that, but th- this was the difference in the game for me. This is what it boiled down to. Garrett Riley and Sonny Dykes, they did what I thought Steve Sarkeesian would do, what he did against Kansas State in the second half, what he did against Iowa State. They had trouble running the ball. TCU did early. Kendra Miller went into halftime with 37 yards on 11 carries. They didn't really just line up and pound Texas. But they kept chipping away and kept chipping away and kept chipping away. And, yeah, you factor the 75-yard touchdown run into the total. But by the end of the night, TCU had a hundred adjusted for sack yardage. 197 yards TCU ran for 5.1 per carry. Now you factor in sacks, it's... 44 for 59, 3.6 per carry. But you got to remember, Texas was the best run defense in the Big 12 coming in, average, giving up about 3. Point, it was like 3.4 yards per carry. As a matter of fact, let me go back and look at that real quick. I apologize. What was Texas giving up in the run game? 3.39, yeah, about 3.4 yards per carry Texas was allowing going into the game. So TCU just stuck with the run and didn't abandon it and knew at some point even if the dam doesn't break at some point, if you hold on to the ball long enough with the way you're playing defense and timing the Texas offense, at some point you'll get yourself in good enough down in distances to where, hey, a three-yard gain, that's going to allow you to move the sticks. Steve Sarkeesian didn't do that. And we talk all the time about the flyover defense. And I think at this point, the flyover defense, the three-safety defense, whatever you feel comfortable calling it. I think at this point, if I'm Sark... When I'm get, gathering my to-do list of what to do in the offseason, I've got to find, use all of my resources in football, and I've got to find who are the best offensive coordinators at handling the flyover defense, and I've got to figure out what they do. I've got to spend my entire offseason figuring out how to attack the flyover because pretty much everybody in the Big 12 runs some version of it, dang near everybody. And you look at the games where this offense is really bogged down at times, struggled to move the football. Oklahoma State, they run the three-safety defense. Iowa State, they kind of were on the cutting edge of the three-safety defense. K-State, three-safety defense. Go back and look at the numbers in the second half of the K-State game. and the, the just the, but, but I'll get to why Texas was able to get themselves out of the bind by not doing what they should have done on Saturday. 
K-State runs that three-safety defense. We know TCU runs that three-safety defense. The key, the key, the key to managing and defeating and figuring out the, the main thing you've got to have, and Garrett Riley had this and Sark didn't, when you're facing the flyover defense, man, you've got to have patience. Because what the flyover wants to do, it wants to do two things. It wants to take away your vertical passing game, and it wants to spill runs to the outside to let the safeties come down, fill the alleys, and make plays. And, and that's where a fast defense like TCU, that's a really good thing. You're playing a tight front. You want to spill the ball to the outside. Let your safeties, let your DBs come screaming downhill, use their speed, and make plays and stuff to run. And if you're where Iowa State's been with it and your middle field safety is really good at fitting the run, then okay, now you're you're cooking with gasoline. But Sark didn't do that. And I was asked on the pregame show. Uh, I think Aaron asked me. By the way, shout-out Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Mike Hart, outstanding pregame coverage from down on Bevo Boulevard. I think it was Aaron that asked me, hey, touches for Bijan and Roshan, where does it need to be tonight for Texas to win the game? I said, for, for Bijan at least, I said in the kind of the 35 area, and I think for both of them, Probably in that 38 to 42 range. I think that's where they were. I think they were at 37 combined in the K State game, maybe 38. They had less than half that. They had 17 carries between them, no receptions for either guy. And it's disappointing because we saw Sark handle the flyover in that method in the Iowa State game. Like, look, Quinn didn't have it. Pass game wasn't clicking. You go back to that game, the. The little crosser where Casey Kane's open and he drops the ball. That was kind of the final straw for Sark to just say, nah, I'm just going to put it in the hands of my two running backs and let them carry it. When things got to the nitty-gritty in the second half of the K-State game, when Texas was able to mount a drive, what do they do? They went to the run game, and they let Texas chip away against the K-State defense. And Yeah, did the offensive line have a great night? No. But the kinds of runs you need to run against the flyover, what do we talk about? They want to spill the ball to the outside, right? It's got to be tight. It's got to be downhill, and it's got to be fast. You've got to be moving. And granted, when your offensive line doesn't get a great push, it's hard to do that. But you look at the few times Texas did have success running the football. They ran tight zone at times, and they had some success with it. But we'll never know because Sark had no intention on sticking with the run in this game. And you basically took the ball out of the hands of your best player and put it in the hands of your redshirt freshman quarterback. And this brings us to Quinn Ewers. And I think there's two different conversations to be had. One, and this goes back to the Oklahoma State game. We, we can talk about should Sark have pulled Quinn Ewers in favor of Hudson Card. That's a very fair question. And I'll be honest, I kind of understood why he stuck with Quinn in Stillwater. Saturday was the first time that I really felt like, man, you just need something. Like, you got nothing going on offense. Maybe Hudson Card gives you a spark, and maybe it's not the worst thing in the world for Quinn Ewers to to sit and, and just observe for a while. Sometimes, you know, Snoop, sometimes guys need that. They just need to come over to the sideline, and the coach needs to pull them over and say, look, you're not in trouble. This isn't uh, – I'm not trying to degrade you, but you, you just need to sit over here and think about it for a minute. I didn't think that would have been a bad idea. But Saturday was the first time that I really questioned it. And I think Sark's impatience dealing with the flyover bleeds over into Quinn's impatience. And I, it's tough for me or anybody else to sit here and, I think, talk about, well, the quarterback's not going through his progressions. He's locking on to one guy. I, I think that's tough because 
We don't know the play calls. We don't know what Sark is calling. We don't know what the read is. We don't know what Quinn's options are. We don't know what he's being told. We don't know if there's something pre-snap that gives away something the defense does that tells you, okay, this is where I'm going with the football. So it's hard for me from that standpoint. But I will say this. Where Sark needed to help Quinn Ewers, if that's the case, like let's say I'm right, and it's not just that he's locking on to one guy, he's doing what the coaches tell him to do. Then at that point, the coach needs to help his quarterback by giving him easier throws. We can talk about Quinn's footwork and how he, you know, he throws flat-footed, doesn't step into throws. Asking asking a quarterback to fix their footwork this late in the year, that's like complaining about your offensive line doesn't have any strength. What can you do? They lose the battle at the point of attack. What can you do? Brother, that's handled in the offseason. You start fixing that in January. You don't fix that around Thanksgiving. That is what it is, and you got to work around it. And for Sark, one of the ways you work around it, man, you give him quick throws. They went to the quick game eventually. I just think they did it too late. And we saw the few times, man, when they threw some screens, they threw some of the quick slants, uh, they threw, I think they hit Jordan Whittington on a glance at one point. Like some of the quick game stuff was working. They just didn't do it enough. And the very few times that the run game got any sort of a rhythm, what do they do? Take a shot down the field. Take a shot down the field. And I do agree with the, the theory Rod Babers brought up that Sark really needs to hit that first deep shot to almost validate that the game plan was right, that everything he worked on was right. But that's a play caller that needs to learn or has to accept the fact that, look, if it's not working, just be patient. And the most disappointing thing about Sark's game plan is when things have gone wrong, he's turned to B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson and put the game in their hands. And I'm not saying you just got to hand it to him on dive plays and just try to run through the A-gap and play meathead football and bang your head against the wall. Did we see the screen game at all on Saturday? No. Did we see Bijan try to get the ball on a glance or a circle route? No. Did we see Roshan get involved in the pass game? No. Did we see Keelan Robinson get a touch? No. There was a lot of stuff wrong with the offense other than just Quinn Ewers having a bad night. And I'm not excusing Quinn Ewers' bad night. It was a bad night. But there was so much stuff wrong with the offense. And I'm at the point now where we've seen enough. There's a big enough sample size of Sark now as a play caller. He's 11-11, and 11, 22 games. Steve Sarkeesian is an elite play designer. I think Kirk Herbstreit talked about this this week in terms of an elite play designer, and there's no question that he is. And there's nothing wrong with his offense in theory. Like, everybody's got every offensive play caller in football. They've got signatures, signature staples in their offense, and we talk about Sark's signatures all the time, right? Pre-snap motion, targets to motion, uh, uh bunch formations, condensed formations, a lot of movements, orbit motion, just giving the defense so much stuff to process. Those are the signatures in Sark's offense. So this offense has an identity. It's a good offense. And Sark is an elite play designer. He's one of the best in college football, maybe one of the best in the game at being able to scheme guys open. But at this point, I'm I'm ready to say Steve Sarkeesian is not an elite play caller. Being a great play caller takes feel for the game, understanding situations, knowing when to run, knowing when to push the tempo, knowing when to back off, knowing when to put the ball, knowing knowing when to put the ball in the hands of your running back, knowing when your quarterback is struggling. And Sark has not shown a consistent feel to be able to do that. I'm not saying he hasn't done it. He just hasn't shown a consistent feel to be able to do that. And for me, 
we all see the what and the uh, we all see the what unfold unfold in front of our eyes every Saturday. For me, it just goes back to his impatience as a play caller, the inability to hit that deep shot if it doesn't happen, and the constant hunt for that deep shot. It completely detracts from everything else you're trying to do offensively. So, uh, the the conversation about whether to bench Quinn Ewers or not, going back to a point that I feel like I made like 20 minutes ago, I felt like if you were going to do it I, again, I didn't necessarily think Stillwater was the time to do it because you could have just put the ball in Bijan's hands as good as your run game was working. Had you stuck with it, in my opinion. But Sark's not going to do it. Short of an injury to Quinn, a significant injury, he's just not going to do it. And part of that makes me wonder. We all heard that Hudson Card's ankle injury was worse than probably it was reported. I just wonder if that ankle injury is still that bad. I think it's a valid question at this point. It's got to be one or the other. Either Hudson Card's, either Hudson Card's ankle is much worse than we thought, or... At this point, Sark is just going to stick with Quinn come hell or high water or he gets injured. And at that point, there's really no use in talking about benching Quinn Ewers. So there's a lot to fix on this offense. Can it get fixed? Yeah, because you're pretty much going to play a lighter version of the team you just played when you talk about going from TCU to playing Kansas. If you just look at explosive plays, like Kansas lives off the explosive play, even even with Jalen Daniels out, Jason Bean's done a really good job, but they basically put the, the offense, the Devin Neal's been the identity of their offense. If you look in the Big 12 at plays of 20-plus yards, Kansas and TCU are tied for the most now with 67. If you go to 30-plus, TCU's one with 37, Kansas is two with 33. Plays of 40-plus yards, TCU's number one with 20, Kansas is number two with 17. If you go to 50-plus yard plays, TCU's number one with 16, Kansas is number two with 10. You go to plays of 60-plus yards, TCU is number uh, number one with nine. Kansas is tied for second with seven. So this is a really explosive offense you're going to play. It's a defense that also gives up a lot of chunk yardage, so it's going to be a defense. Just Kansas doesn't run a ton, at least from the early feelers I put out to get an idea of what Kansas does. They don't run a ton of the flyover stuff, very little if any. So maybe from that standpoint you'll get a break from it, but I think that in the in the short term – Sark's got to make things easier for Quinn Ewers and not have another game like I said he couldn't have in these last four where you get to the end of the game and you're like, man, they left a lot of meat on the bone with, in regards to Bijan and Roshan. You can't, you can't have games like that down the stretch to maximize your win ceiling, and Saturday was one of those games. So in the short term, you got to help your quarterback out, giving him simpler throws. you got to put the ball in the hands of your two veteran running backs and let them carry you if you want to finish this thing right. Win out and get to eight wins. Give yourself a chance to get to nine wins with a bowl game. There's that part to think about. But two, in the big picture, you got to really focus this offseason on fixing Quinn Ewer's footwork, and you've got to figure out the best way to consistently attack that flyover defense because it is not going away. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. Snoop will get uh, some high school football with the Whataburger Top 5. We'll get your feedback on the Specs text line 337-3776. We'll do all that when we come back on Light the Tower. On the Horn, live, local, and digital. On the Horn app and at Horn. Rolling along. Monday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. Jeff House, Snoop Daniel, Craig Way in Stores, Connecticut, getting ready for the Texas women's basketball game tonight. Sounds like Rory Harmon's going to be a game time decision with that injury. See how things go and what shoot happened around. to her? 
She's got the the toe injury. She's in the boot. Damn, girl is she a baller? Every time I hear every time I hear the word boot, I think about uh, beer fest. Oh, the boot. That's boot. That's boot. <laughs> uh, straight out the boot. Who's there? Is you, ever wanted, you ever thought about drinking beer out of one of them big glass boots like that, Snoop? That ever intrigued you? Uh, you know, one time I drank beer out of the Calder cup. Did you really? Yeah, I, I was uh, at, for some reason, it was when Kung Fu Saloon was at another spot downtown, and it was there, and I drank out of it. It was pretty dope. Anyway, that's shout, a, out, shout out to the Texas Stars. Buddy. Yeah, they were so lit. That was a fun time. That was a fun group. <laughs> uh, Spec Sex Line is open 337-3776. We'll get back to the Texas football talk, but right now we've got to get a little high school football because Snoop has a Craig Way curated edition of the Whataburger Top 5. It's time for the Whataburger Top 5. Okay, prepare to receive today's edition. Here we go! Top 5 performances of the weekend. Okay, these are Craig Way's picks, and I, I gotta agree with them. He has a three-way tie at 5. I'm like, it's lit, Craig. Then he huh? did that just for you, Snoop. <laughs> Rouse and Crockett, Raiders won 48-14. Lockhart over San Antonio Burbank. Lions won 62-7. Don't say we don't ever talk about the Lockhart Lions yeah, on this show. Yeah, and that's a beatdown, by the way. And Smithville beat Gatesville uh, 24-14, so that's the tie at five. Uh, some smaller schools, well, Lockhart is, forgive me, your 5A in Rouse. It's a bigger school, 5A. Anyway, number four, LBJ shutting out Elgin, 69-0. The Jaguars look Poised to make a run. Number three, Georgetown over New Braunfels Canyon. That would have been my number two, but yeah, Georgetown knocking off uh, as an underdog, I guess some would say. The experts would say, but the computer thought Georgetown would win, and they did. Number two, Gerald over Devine. Come on, Jeff. Uh, 32-14 final. uh, Gerald is an area round finalist, at least. Can you believe it? People in Gerald... Feel free to correct me. Is this the first time Gerald's been to the area round since 99? Cool. How they got to the quarters in 99? They played Bartlett at House Park in the quarters. And you can literally, if you've been that not good, you could go. You could be bad for the next five years and people will still talk about this year. Yeah, somebody, somebody in, in, in Gerald, get on your rotary phone <laughs> and figure out how to text the show. Uh, let me know if I'm right or if Gerald's been to the area around, no. passed the by district around since then. Go get them, Coos. You know, and they care a lot, too. They call them the blue crew. They're not the kids, Jeff, the kids. And the number one. It's all about the kids, I guess. Number one top performance, Whataburger Top 5, as curated by uh, my mentor and good friend, Craig Way. Uh, Lake Travis over Round Rock, 35-10. Cavaliers get the dubby. Uh, Round Rock came in as favorites, and LT proved that they still had the pedigree, and that's big, man. Now they got steel to deal with, which is unbeaten. And... By the way, I mean, I know it was more lopsided before uh, Lake, Lake Travis made it close, but Lake Travis has already played steel, by the way, in non-district back in, in September, and they lost by a touchdown. So it's hard to beat a team twice, so they say, whoever they are. Uh, Purple Buffaloes, Daddy, thank you for taking the time to leave your shanty and uh, find the rotary phone. Uh, Gerald lost in the area <laughs> round in 2015 to Crockett. So Shanty. Yeah. What's a shanty? Uh Show Lago Vista some love, Snoop. What was Lago, Lago Vista one big? They, they did. Know? They did. Uh, they won, I want to say, by like 40-plus. And Ollie didn't show them any luck because they were not on the uh, on the Water, uh, Waterburger Top 5 matchups of the week. But, yeah, 
Liddy Lago, Bowen Staub, one of my favorite area quarterbacks doing his thing. And by the way, shout out to San Marcos Academy, uh, Coach Chacon and company. They won their uh, first playoff game in old tap six, uh, tap six man, uh, beat Allen Academy out of Bryan. 45 them, Snoop. Got that 45 rule. In the second half. Holy Lord, I knew it was lopsided, but yeah, Lago Vista, because I posted it, they beat Bandera 67-6. Yeah, I knew it was big. I just couldn't remember who they played, but Six. shout out to Lago Vista. And now they got Sinton. I should have my Florence card revoked, because I gave I had to give props to Gerald and Lago Vista on the show today. What the hell's wrong with me? Uh-oh. I don't know if they're going to allow me back in the city limits of Florence. I'll start pulling some stuff like that. Porsche Natchez Groves, somebody was asking that. PNG, the home of Roshan Johnson. A word. Alma of Roshan Johnson. I did not yeah, know Yeah, we'll get into high school football yeah, matchups yeah. later That's in the week it. when That's Craig it. is back. Craig That's will have the computer. The computer. Oh, yes, thank you for the Whataburger Top 5, Snoop. All right, let's go ahead and talk a little more Longhorn football. I want to get to some feedback on the Specs text line because we're going to kind of make this tidy, tighten it up a little bit so we can make sure we're free at the top of the hour, to, depending on what time Steve Sarkeesian's press conference start. Uh, texter that said they had they were up in the press box on Saturday but couldn't bring yourself to, to meet me and Craig. And just come over and say hi, even if I've only got a quick second to just kind of shake your hand and, uh, you know, talk for a quick sec. Uh, we can do that. So, uh, but thank you. I appreciate the, the kind words. And by the way, shout out to uh, everybody that showed up at our Wing Folks lunch on Friday at uh, the Pluckers over on uh, Research. Good time. Good time there. Uh, got got uh, had a lot of fun hanging out with everybody, talking ball and uh, talking all kinds of stuff. So, Snoop, you missed a good time. Not uh, I know the weather was not ideal. Friday around lunchtime. So. Not looking like it right now either. No, not great. Not ideal. But uh, shout out to everybody at the Wings Folks Lunch. We're going to have one more Wing Folk Lunch uh, this year, the week of the Baylor game. It's going to be Wednesday, that Wednesday, not on Friday because the game is on Friday. Thanksgiving's on Thursday, so we'll do our Wing Folk Lunch oh, yeah. that Wednesday. And I believe we're going to be at the South Lamar location, back at South Lamar for that one, for our last Wing Folk Lunch of the year. One more opportunity for me to get that big salad over. I love the salad at Pluckers, man. The the grilled was the grilled chicken garden salad, Snoop. They just put it in this big, huge bowl, and you get like the cheese and the bacon yeah. and all the stuff with mm. it. And you put the, I get the lemon pepper chicken put in there. Ooh, yeah, it's 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 nice. It's nice. So, uh, shout out to Pluckers. Uh, a lot of people asking about drops, and, and there's one text that says Texas should replace the wide receivers coach. I would assume that's in jest. Don't get, there's no reason to get rid of Brennan Marion. It's, he's, Brennan Marion is fine. Uh, this texture, I kind of addressed that already. Just Sark's feel for the game. It just, just hasn't been good. Uh, I would, I would tune in to Ball Don't Lie today. Um, yeah, Rod, Rod, we know Rod Babers is passionate about Texas football. Uh, so yeah, Rod's probably going to lose his mind. But I mean, I mean, this, this game, to me, confirms a lot of the stuff Rod has been saying, uh, a lot of the stuff we've talked about on Longhorn Blitz, that, it, to me, it's gone from concerns to, yeah, or question marks to, yeah, I think this is just what it is, and, and now you've got to get over that hump, just in regards to Sark's, Sark's function as a play caller, an in-game play caller, the ability. Like, you know, just, I'll give you a great example, right? Different side of the ball. You know who was a great play caller, a great defensive play caller? Will Muschamp's a great defensive play caller. Very few guys, like, he was one of those rare defensive coordinators that, and, and I think the 2009 game at Oklahoma State, they have a drive, maybe two, gets over the sideline, just scraps the entire game plan, just draws it up on the fly, and they end up shutting down that Oklahoma State offense. Will Muschamp was a great play caller because he could make adjustments. Uh, again, I don't think Sark is a bad play caller, 
I just think he needs to make adjustments. And if you're going to stick with Quinn Ewers, if if there's a reason, if you just want to ride it out with him and, and that's your decision, then then you got to do more to help him out or you need to go to Hudson Card. And Hudson Card might not be as compatible with your offense as Quinn Ewers is, but man, at some point something had to I felt like something had to give on Saturday because the offense just got nothing done. Uh, this text says the corners are awful at jamming receivers off the line. That secondary definitely needs work. Yeah, but overall, I, I can't I can't fault the defense too much. I mean, like I said, you you hold TCU to 17 points and under four yards per play. That should be enough to win that game. A lot of concerns about quarterback Tom Emily Wolfen. I'm glad you brought up the roughing the punter. Um, that to me that was too. And I asked Sark about it in the post game. Those were two decisions by Sark that I questioned. Uh, the one was to take the time out and punt right before the half. I think it was about 40, 40-ish seconds left. Uh, they had the fourth and one. And I agreed with Sark on that one. I felt like at that point, uh, and granted, it doesn't fit into the all-gas-no-breaks mentality, but... It's fourth and one right there. There's plenty of time for TCU to get the ball at midfield uh, and go down and get points right before the half. Uh, I can see both sides of it, but I, in that situation, because you say, okay, well, what if you go down? What if you go down and score, uh, and maybe you you get a field goal, uh, and it's a tie game at halftime, and you get the ball back to start the second half? Maybe that jump starts the offense. Well, okay, I certainly see both sides of it, but to me, the risk is not worth the reward, especially. What confidence did you have that at that point that the offense was just going to be able to go down and just put the ball in the end zone or be in a position to get points? The 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 call the decision to go after the punt when Demarvin Overshone got the roughing the punter penalty the the penalty itself isn't the problem. The problem is going for the pump block on fourth and three because at that point it doesn't matter if it's five or fifteen. Any contact with the punter whatsoever is going to result in a first down. Because it's fourth and three, so I knew they were gonna. You could tell pre-snap that they were gonna come after it. That's probably one that I, if I was Sark, I would take that back. I wouldn't have done that. I and he, I know he said, "Hey, if you block it, it's a great call." Yeah, but to me, again, the risk was definitely not worth the reward on that one. There were way more things at that point that could go wrong than could go right for you. Uh, it says, yours looks average against good teams. Teams know that if they stop our running game, we get nothing. Well, yeah, TCU stopped the run, but I just felt like they needed to go back to it more. Like, there's there's no way anybody, anybody can tell me. Not Steve Sarkeesian, not any of those coaches, not anybody listening right now, not the best football minds that can talk about this game. There's nobody that can tell me 12 touches is enough for B. John Robinson to impact the game. There's no way. Unless in those 12 touches he's got like 150 total yards or something. There's no way 12 touches is enough for him to impact the game. Like you got off 73 snaps on Saturday, and B. John Robinson touched it 12 times. That means you're arguably the best offensive player in the country was directly involved in your offense 16% of the time. That's that's not getting it done for me. Um, I've seen people talk about Hudson Card's eligibility and preserving a red shirt for those purposes, but I think people forget that Hudson Card is the holder on PATs and field goals. 
he's played in he's played in these games. So he's over the four game mark to I don't know why people forget about the special team stuff, but he's the holder on PATs and field goals. So it's not it's not even an eligible you can't even use the eligibility excuse. So anyway, um I would love to get more of these to more of these questions, but we are just running out of time. So uh, we got to take a break, get to Inconceivable to make sure we're free at the top of the hour for Steve Sarkeesian's press conference. So we'll take a break, come back. Inconceivable coming up next on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Beat the pluck is back. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. All right, just a couple of things. But we got one for inconceivable today. We'll we'll make it quick. Uh, I, I do want to get to two things on the specs text line though, and I appreciate everybody's feedback. Three three seven three seven seven six. Robert and Giddings. Sark is a bad play caller. Things no one said three years ago when Sark was calling plays at Alabama. If if, that, if those words came out of my mouth, that's not what I wanted to convey. I didn't say I didn't mean Sark was a bad play caller. And I don't think I said Sark is a bad play caller. I just said I'm not ready to say he's an elite play caller. I think he's an elite play designer. I think he is an elite offensive coordinator. He can coordinate an offense. He's elite at scheming guys open. But as a play caller, feel for the game. Yes, he was great at Alabama. Can't take that away from him. But I haven't seen enough at Texas, and I think it just goes back to the inability to figure out the flyover defense, that three-safety defense. I I think they go hand-in-hand. And uh, this texter, no name, but... uh, so their defense stuff to run very effectively. That's why they didn't run more. Well, that's true, but I think if you look in the second half when they TCU started stopping the run, I think the first down run rate went up a little bit. And for Bijan, it's not just about getting him carries; it's about getting him touches. Throw him a screen pass, dude. Do something. I know they. I was not a fan of the design of the Wildcat deal on on four on fourth down, and I'll get to some numbers coming up in the second half, but just get him the ball more other than just turning around and handing it to him. All right, Snoop, inconceivable today. That's inconceivable what you were talking about is not getting Bijan the football. Well, it certainly can fit into it. Uh, what could bring, Snoop, what's something you think could bring Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield together? Oh, at earlobe convention. Well, kind of. I don't know what that would entail. Kind of. You're not that far off. But it's rooted. Earlobes are so soft. It's rooted in these two guys linked to one of the most infamous moments in sports history coming together to fight the destigmatization, uh, uh, mm-hmm. if I can talk right today, of cannabis. They want to make cannabis legal. Cannabis. Uh, the boxing legends are using the infamous moment where Tyson bit a chunk of Holyfield's ear off during their heavyweight title fight in 1997 to create Holy Ears. Oh. THC and Delta 8 THC infused edibles that are shaped like bitten <laughs> ears, which will launch in November through Tyson 2.0, the boxer's cannabis company. Tyson and Holyfield reunite under the newly formed Karma Holdings, which house Tyson 2.0 and Holyfield's own cannabis line Aww. that will begin in 2023. Tyson, who has been a cannabis advocate for some time, said it was his wife, Kiki's idea to have holy ears as a product. <laughs> I love cannabis. Quote, I said, that's awesome. Then we played with it, we released it, and it was an immediate success. Tyson, who initially dropped the product as Mike Bites, told Fox News Digital, it was immediate success. So I was saying, why don't Evander get involved too? Holyfield was admittedly a bit skeptical about the partnership, 
Uh, it's not that it had anything to do with Tyson personally, but like many others, when it comes to the cannabis space, Holyfield was not educated on the products until he went searching for some answers. Mm. They said it's about helping people, Holyfield told Fox Digital News. Uh, so I said, it, I said, I ain't got no problem helping people. I didn't know it was something that I had to act like I was. I didn't know if it was something that I had to act like I was smoking reefer. I realized it is for helping somebody else. So the fact mm. that it was something that helped somebody else, I was fine with that. So uh, I can see Evander Holyfield with a boxing glove on smoking a joint. <laughs> that'd be hard. That'd be tough to grip, wouldn't it? I, <laughs> you know, I've never smoked before. <laughs> you get the you just you would the clip be easier to grab? Oh yeah! Oh my God! Yes. We just went way too inside baseball on that. Mike Tyson and Vander Holyfield trying to smoke a joint with boxing gloves on. <laughs> uh, all no right, cannabis. <laughs> That's going to do it for Inconceivable. Oh. Somebody asking. I've gotten a few texts about what questions I, I would ask Sark at the presser. Uh, I can't ask Sark questions at the presser because I'm in studio today. I'm not at the stadium. Yeah. Uh, but we will have the Steve Sarkeesian press conference coming up at the top of the hour. That's next on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.